American farmers are broke. So when today's guest heretic Charlotte Smith started her grass-based farm, she wanted to make sure that she wasn't going to go out of business in two years, just like all the other farmers she had dealt with. She's going to share with us how she helps farmers to earn a living wage, discuss the controversy over the food that rocked her world, and tell us about her involvement in the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. Coming up next on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. If you're still confused about what to eat and not getting the results you thought you'd get by going organic, go to NutritionHeretic.com and download the shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague for free. The shit list details what health food companies want you to believe about the crap they peddle and why the real foods they're meant to replace are far better. Stop letting big health food dump all over you and download the shit list today. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. <laughs> it's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. Aloha and welcome to the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. This is Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. And today in the studio, I'm saying with uh, air quotes, <laughs> we're going to talk about farming, uh, which we do a lot on this show because when somebody truly is committed to their health, they realize that their farmer is their best friend. Uh, one thing that I noticed, uh, years ago when my, my eldest, who's now 13, she was just turning two, we went to Switzerland. And, uh, as I have talked about numerous times on the show, when I travel, I like to travel in a way that I can connect with people because I want to know the, food traditions in the places that I go. You know, if you stay in a hotel, you're eating in restaurants all the time. Maybe you stop into a supermarket every once in a while, you know, to buy a bottle of water, but you don't really get the, the full experience. So this is kind of a little bit of my obsession, but it's it's also uh, just a way that I get to experience the world in a, in a very tactile way and to visit places and really feel uh, a little bit like a local. So you're, so when uh, Daisy was two, we went to Switzerland and we stayed in this uh, small town in the French speaking part. I don't even remember the exact name of the town, to be honest, uh, but it was a very small town and we stayed with a transitional organic farm. The thing that kind of slapped me in the face was that, well, you know, our accommodations were definitely more meager than the, than the people who lived there, but they were installing marble countertops and the house was beautiful, but you know, they were, they were installing marble. They were, they, the house was just like a really nice, uh, livable space. Uh, from the years that I have spent shopping at farms in, in Pennsylvania and now in Hawaii, it's abundantly clear that we are not prioritizing our farmers. Our farmers in the U.S., unfortunately, are living below the poverty line uh, a lot of the time. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the first talks I gave was for a farm where the farmer uh, you know, raising two children uh, was pulling in thirteen to 14000 a year if he was lucky. You know, they barely could run electricity in their house. That's how little they were making in Pennsylvania. And these guys weren't even Amish. I mean, the Amish have a whole other <laughs> thing going with, you know, how much money they can pull in. So, you know, this really stuck out in my head uh, as one of the injustices in our society. And for that reason, I wanted to uh, invite our guest heretic this week, Charlotte Smith. Uh, she is from Three Cow Marketing and Shampooig creamery <laughs> and, uh, and where are you based exactly in oregon correct 
Sure, I'm in St. Paul, Oregon, which is about 30 minutes south of Portland. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, so if you're in the Portland area, please uh, stop by her creamery. I, I can't even say it twice, and I speak French. That, I don't know. <laughs> shampooing. I think I want to say shampooing, which is what they call shampoo. <laughs> so, right, right. Um, but, um, yeah, so uh, tell us a little bit um about let's let's since I led in with marketing um tell us about three cow marketing and what you do there sure well three cow marketing started out of kind of what you talked about in your intro that um I think the current statistic is 2,000 farmers go out of business in America every single week and 80% of farmers are out of business within the first two years, and only 2% of farmers make it to the five-year point. And I've been in business seven years, and part of that, I think, is uh, directly related to the fact that I've been self-employed for 25 years. Ah. And so I brought my marketing things I already understood, and my background is in communications, And I built my businesses on relationship. And so when I started my farm, I kind of knew exactly what to do to get customers. I had to build strong relationships with them and treat them really well and keep in touch with them all the time so they didn't forget me and then put customer service, you know, first and foremost. And I kind of inherently knew this because that was my background. So then when other farmers who were nearby would start asking me, well, how is it that you can sell your raw milk, for instance, for twice as much as we can, and you've got a wait list all the time, and we can hardly sell half of what we produce, and we're only five miles away from your farm. Mm-hmm. So I, I, so then I would email back and forth. It was kind of on an individual basis. And then I had a group to my house. We had raw milk producers come here and I taught them some things all day, seminar type thing. And then with the online marketing world, I thought, you know, this is not, I I can, sure, I can reach the farmers around me, but this is a message that they all need to hear all across America. So I really just took what I do and put it into, I wrote it down and I created videos and I put it into a course and now, and I have a wonderful private Facebook group called The Profitable Farm. And I am trying to change the mindset among farmers. You know, the rest of the public will follow suit if farmers hold themselves in higher esteem. And if they feel, so many of them feel like it's okay to live at the poverty level and they think, well, we should, we're a farmer, so therefore we shouldn't be able to afford to send our kid to college or they're, you know, they take pride that they drive a 20 year old car that leaves them stranded on the side of the road, you know, because that's kind of what our society has taught them. And since I came from a different world, it's like, no, nobody, I, I mean, why is it that my children should not have the right to go to, you know, the, the college of their choice Yes. or to graduate with $200,000 debt because they had to get loans all the way through? I should have the same rights as these customers who are driving up to my farm store, you know, holding iPhones and lattes and driving BMWs and complaining that our you know, hamburger is not 99 cents a pound or something. Yeah, so, exactly. yeah. So that's kind of where it started was to change. You know, I have this bigger dream and it, to kind of work towards that big dream of I, my dream is that we will have small farmers scattered all across America serving the two or 300 families that each small farm serves. And, you know, it, it, maybe that's 50% of our food instead of the industrialized model we have now. But that's only going to happen if we start getting farmers. You know, we have this continuous turnover of farmers, which means we never get anyone that's, you know, the, only a certain amount of experience. And then they're out of business and they've lost tens of thousands of dollars or their whole savings or something when they go out of business. So we have this, yeah, this constant influx of newbies who aren't quite sure of what they're doing. Absolutely. And, and this is a huge issue in the, the marketing world online is that there are the gurus <laughs> who believe they can train anybody in any industry. Um, 
yes, there are some basics, as you know, as a marketing person, there are some basics that are universal. Um, but no one who really understands the struggle of people who are very industry specific, uh, particularly in these industries where we are supposed to be considered so selfless, right? I know that as a nutritionist, people don't want to pay me uh, <laughs> what, you know, my, I, I had to go to school to get the education, but it's just your knowledge. Why are you charging for that? You know, they don't, right. they don't see it. They don't see it as a, as a tangible thing. You, they don't begrudge their doctor who, you know, they will go to every week and, and attest that they are not getting better with their doctor. But wait a minute, you're supposed to help me do it for free. Somehow the guy right. who, who makes you sick, you got to pay the person who can make you better should do it for free, right? Right, right. You see the same thing in the food industry that exactly. why do you charge why do you charge for milk? You're milking the cow anyway. Can't you just help out your neighbors and give it away? <laughs> like, oh, you have no idea. Right, exactly. It's like really yeah. you wanna you wanna walk a day in my shoes? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So so yeah. what is the the mental block you see with the farmers themselves? What is it that makes them think that they can't charge more like, Oh, only people, people will only pay, but so much, or they only charge this in the supermarket. You know, what, what is the mental block that you find they have to overcome to, to get their worth? Well, I think it often, it starts out as because we have commoditized food. So they decide to raise their hundred chickens to sell and they realize, wow, these hundred chickens cost me $15 a bird, which means I need to charge, you know, uh, $17 a bird to make $2 a bird, which is nothing. Right. And yet the chicken in the store is $2, a, a, you know, $5 cheaper. And so my competition is the store. Therefore, you know, they're trying to compete with Walmart and, and Whole Foods and, and all that instead of, um, so, so there's that fear of not getting a customer and there's also a confidence. So lots of times I find that my training, my consulting, my courses, the number one thing they give people is the confidence. And they say, holy cow, I can't believe I was charging $10 a chicken. I'm raising mine to $30 now. So once they have the confidence mm -hmm. that they uh, can not only can, but, um, should do that. The other thing I do is I do a little mindset shift. It's a block that often people have of who am I to say my grass fed beef is so good when they can go to whole foods and get supposedly, you know, who am I to say that? And I tell people, I kind of do a, sh help them do a 180 on their mindset that if you have a product that will make someone's life better, because we all know how people are using farm fresh foods to get their health back in order. You know, if, if you're selling pastured chickens and I have leaky gut and you're not doing everything you can to get your chicken in front of me, which means pricing it so that you'll be in business two years from now, then you're stealing my health from me. Mm -hmm. And once I explain this to farmers that they're, they're stealing from their customers or potential customers, which is okay. That's kind of a, dramatic word, but what I, I use that to make the point that you're stealing from them if you don't do what it takes to get in front of them. And what that does is it makes them look at it like the, now they're obligated to price their products sustainably so that they will be in business one and two and five years down the road because they otherwise they leave all these families hanging that were relying on, say, Raw milk, a lot of people use raw milk to heal their kids' eczema, allergies, yep. and asthma. And we, before we ever got our first milk cow, our farmer, we had three different farmers in those first years that each one went out of business and left my family hanging with what I thought was my kids' medicine. Yeah. You know, it was the only thing that worked. And they, so when farmers start to look at it as being their obligation to run a an actual business so that they can afford to stay in business, then often that's all it takes for them to say, oh yeah, of course my chickens need to be twice what they are at the store. And as a matter of fact, 
the store isn't even any competition because we're producing, you know, it's like apples to oranges. Absolutely. We're producing two different products. So it's often just that mindset and the fear. And once they get over that, the confidence, then they're full steam ahead. Right, right. And that's the, you know, that's the same thing with what I do where, you know, people, they want, they don't want to pay for it. They'll pay for anything that doesn't really uh, require their, their actual actions, you know, other than showing up, you know, like I was just, (laughs) the last interview I did, I was talking about a a woman who's in my Facebook group and she didn't want to spend the money. You know, she didn't, oh, I can't even afford your book. I can't, you know. It's just, it's $15. Is it going to be worth it? I'm like, you come in here, you get information for free all the time. Seriously, lady. <laughs> I'm thinking right. to myself, you know, and then, um, and then it trick, it, it leaks out that she's going to the chiropractor every week. And I'm like, okay, that's going to cost you like 40, 50 bucks a pop. Oh, well, he makes me special deal. I'm like, seriously, really? Um, because the stuff that makes the chiropractor, chiropractics actually stick and work is what I do. Mm-hmm. So you yep. won't have to be beholden to the chiropractor for the rest of your life. And, uh, yep. and, and now I just made a bunch of enemies with chiropractors. But right. <laughs> Well, you could insert, you know, fill in the blank with any alternative type right. person. You know, we get the same thing with probiotic pills. Like, yes. why is your milk so expensive? And, and then when I ask, you know, we're taking these probiotic pills that cost them $400 per month. And it's like, wait. Did you just say my, you know, don't you know you can stop taking those probiotic pills when you drink raw milk? Yes. So, yeah, a lot of that is the mindset shift that has to happen in the public, which is slowly happening. Right. And and unfortunately, it's happening when people have like one foot in the grave. You know, they're. Well, that's it. This whole idea of you and me both, you know, are could be preventative health care industry. But. hmm. They don't. They wait until they have the heart attack and then they come to you and me both <laughs> and say, okay, I'm ready. But, you know, that's the thing is that there's the, the warning signs are always there, but they right. always say, oh, no, that's not it. Oh, no, that's it. It, couldn't be. No, it runs in the family, blah, blah. You know, every right. excuse they can come up with to not just take control. And one of the most infuriating things with me uh, is when you talk to people about their health and they say, oh, well, you know, it can't be helped. It's, it's just in the family or whatever their excuse is. Um, or, you know, and, and, oh, the, the, yep. the classic one is that the government wouldn't let it happen if it wasn't right. good. Right. So <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah, you mean, you wait, know. you mean the same like electoral college that we don't trust <laughs> the same right. people who take the tax money and you don't, you don't trust what they do with the taxes, starting new wars. These same people know like uh, on every other level, you don't trust them. But what is most personal to your family, to your body, they know better. Yeah. The, the good old food pyramid. Oh, don't even get me started on that crap. Right, right. <laughs> we, we could go on for hours if we talk about yep. food pyramid <laughs> or boxes or steps, whatever the heck they're doing these days. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and and it's just it's just this vicious cycle. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of denial out there uh, about what fuels our bodies uh, and, and the role of food, you know, because we've dumbed it down to this caloric value, which we are finding out more and more is a little bit of a red herring mm-hmm. uh, because it doesn't talk about absorption rates. It doesn't talk uh, um, about, uh, you know, fiber. You know, we put we push this whole fiber thing. And it's like, well, you ever stop to think that maybe sometimes if you eat too much fiber, it might push the food out before you could actually use it. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, your body get, even gets a chance to do that. Um, so, but y- your uh, three cow marketing, you specifically are, are more tailored towards females, correct? I am. Yes, because so again, back to what happened in the last century, the industrialization of food meant that farmers no longer had to work directly with people. So, you know, you could a lot of farmers hate people and that was fine because they sell to the big canneries and the processors. But now that we're having this movement back to direct to consumer farm to table, somebody's got to sell that food. And if you're a grumpy old farmer, which a lot of them can be a man or woman, but um, you're not going to have a happy customer base that is loyal to you, you know? So 
women are so natural at building and maintaining deep relationships. Gotcha. And that's what it's going to take. In order for me to get someone to drive an hour to my farm once a week for raw milk when they could just pick up some milk at the store, I have to have a really deep relationship with them where they have so much trust for me and what I do and say and, and what I believe in and what we are here on the farm that they're willing to drive out here and support me. And that takes some work, but also it's something that women are really good at. So I do focus my marketing training on women and uh, because they are super successful with this. And if you're a grumpy old man, you can <laughs> maybe find someone in your community who can take over the building of these deep relationships. And this comes from, you know, I, I deal with hundreds, thousands of farmers. So um, I'm not trying to generalize it all, you know, gender differences are exact, but I do focus on women because they are naturally really good at this and they have a lot of success with what I teach. And let's face it, you and me both in our businesses, we want our clients and customers to have success or we don't look good, you know? Right. So, so the, the people who are most successful at what I do and building deep relationships to sell their farm products and build a loyal following are women. And it just, it works and we get along and it's, it's the one place they can talk about, you know, but, oh, I feel bad doing this and we can address that because they're, they're women's issues. Right. Right. Absolutely. And um, do you get uh, and and have you yourself, uh, do you homeschool? I know that's a, that's very big in the farming community. Is there uh, is part of your training helping people to kind of juggle it all? So I run a very busy farm with seven employees and my online marketing company. So wow. I actually run two businesses and I don't homeschool. I'm very busy. You yeah. know, I work very, very long <laughs> days and I have a, you know, a personal assistant and a virtual assistant. Nice. So I hate, uh, I know where my strengths are and it would not be homeschooling my children. Mm -hmm. However, my, my children can teach you how to milk a cow from start to finish and the proper sanitation procedures, you know, and the biology behind it. So they're getting it. <laughs> they they get this education from working with me on the farm. But no, they go off. To, well, two of my kids are out of the house. I only have one at home now. Okay. Yeah, and so she goes off to school for seven hours a day, and you wouldn't believe the amount of things I can get done in those seven hours. Well, actually, you can because you have kids too. So I'm all for helping a woman. To, she just needs to say no more. But no, I don't really <laughs> teach like how to do it all. But okay, one of one of my on my my lead magnet on my three cow marketing website right now is the eight traits of successful woman farmers. Oh, good. And one of those traits is she says no swiftly and often because as women we like to please and help people we say yes too much so that's something i would talk about in our private facebook group definitely pick out your top one or two or three things that you're really good at um and do those things and hire the rest done so yeah one of my things is my kids go to school <laughs> right right yeah and you know it's uh it's funny because in recent months i've, I've been kicking myself in the butt because I, I am a yes person, you know, and somebody is stranded and they need a ride or something. And they call me up and I'm like, oh, shoot, if that was me. And I live on an island. So it looks like it's even more in your face. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so I'm like, yeah. Oh, man, she's she's stranded. She needs a you know, ride to the airport or something, you know, whatever. And her husband's not on an island. And and who else is going to help her? She doesn't really know anybody else because and, and that is one of the things that's interesting because I I am in the school system. I know more people. But then some of my friends their kids are, you know, off, live off island, whatever, um, or they don't have any, or they don't have a spouse or, you know, so when they, when they need somebody, they really need something, you know, <laughs> I'm like, yes. I'm like, really? Okay. So yeah. So that's, that's a huge thing for me going forward is really learning like, Oh, do you have somebody else you can tap for this one? Cause right. you know, I've got to get my show today. And how to say no and how to be okay. If, if someone, you know, is going to grouch at you behind your back, well, it's okay because your obligation is to your children and your family first. And exactly. if you don't have time for them because you're picking up someone else's kid, then they suffer. So, right. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it is definitely a balancing act and, and it's, um, uh, something we have to get uh, more comfortable with. Now to, mm -hmm. to speak to what you said before about not wanting to be gender 
you know, specific, like, you know, these traits embody more by women but versus men. You know, don't feel too bad about that because there is a reason why we have the old adage that behind every great man is a woman, right? Yes. <laughs> because- oh, no, it, it's, it's so true. And I see such an opportunity. And I say this because there are things on the farm I just can't do that, that you know, the thing that I'm lacking and I think most women are lacking is the physical strength. Yes. So, for instance, we move um, a mile's worth of irrigation pipe. So 30 foot long, you know, aluminum pipe carried across a field a mile a day during the summer. Uh. Well, I can't do that. So I hire a guy, you know, I have a guy who does those things. So yeah, the, the genders are perfectly balanced, like God intended that the men can on a farm, especially I think this goes, if you look back 150 years, it's probably how it was too, is the men were doing more of the physical labor and the women were building the relationships that kept the farm going. So we're just kind of embracing what we're naturally good at. Right. And and sometimes it's not even necessarily strength. I think it's also... um just being cumbersome. You know, there's certain things like, you know, my arms are not as long as my husband's arms. It's easy. You know, sometimes it's just, you can't get a grip on it because your hand's too darn small. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's not really, you know, so there's just certain things that, you know, if you can save a step and, you know, it it can be done a little bit quicker with him, but you know, but doesn't mean you can't do it if in a pinch, if you need to. Um, It's just, you know, there's got to be a division of labor one way or another. I'm a firm believer in figuring out the highest and best use of your time, whether you're a woman farmer or a man or whatever, highest and best use of your time, and then get someone else to do the other things that are going to take you two or three times as long. And again, for me, it always goes back to taking time away from my family. Am I willing to take two or three times as long to do that one thing. So my family pays the price or figure out what I'm really good at and focus on that. Right. And uh, also shifting gears, you know, sometimes just moving from like, for example, right now, you know, I'm podcasting in a couple of minutes when we're done, I'll I'll be straining guavas to make guava syrup. (laughs) But you know, there's this, there's like a, a, a mental shift that has to happen. Right. And sometimes it takes a, you know, it takes a little, okay, I'm in this new space. I need to do this. So, you know, just those few minutes that you, you would lose, kind of laying out the steps of the next process, even that mm-hmm. is, is a strain on your time uh, that exactly. a lot, a lot of people, you know, individually, you know, it doesn't take long to throw kefir grains in your milk, but when you're adding that to making a stew and, you know, milking a cow or whatever, it adds up. It does. Yeah. And as women and mothers and business owners, we do a lot of that. (laughs) (laughs) That's my whole day. (laughs) Yeah, because it's it's like, I'm good at it. You know, why, why give it to somebody else? I know what I'm doing. But then, you know, then you you end up kind of having everything fall on your lap. Right, right. So what are some of the challenges uh, other other than just the marketing? What are some of the things that you see farmers doing in a, I don't want to say a sloppy way, but that they could be doing better, whether it's in terms of what they offer, uh, let's say value added products, um, you, you know, beyond just the, the regular marketing. Is it, are there other things that you see, you know, like, no guys, you should really be doing it a little, or you, you know, if you do it this way, it'll probably work in your favor better. Yeah, I think one of the big things that I see there is they often start with one thing, like they decide I'm going to raise chickens. So they raise chickens and they sell some and it went mediocre. So they think, well, I'm going to raise sheep. And then Mm. they switch to, um, well, we're going to raise this really unique pig breed that's going out of, you know, and we're you know, they're jumping from thing to thing. And each time you jump, it costs a lot of money. But what I tell farmers, if, if you're not really good at selling the first thing and you don't, you know, you need to be sold out and have a waiting list, uh, two pages long before you move to the second thing. Because if you can't sell the first thing and you can't be successful at the first thing, you're not going to be successful at the second thing. So then they keep jumping from thing, you know, species to species or whatever it is until finally they go out of business. Right. And it's so sad because again, it's, you know, 80% of them are gone within two years and we don't hear the public hears about farmers as, Oh, it's a hot new field. And a lot of people are 
going back to the farm, what we don't hear is the other side of that, that how yes. many are going out of business just as fast. But that's one of the big things is they're uh, just taking on too much too soon. And, and yeah, get really good at one thing before, and then you'll be really good at the second thing. <laughs> right, right. So is it, uh, I mean, I don't want you to give away all your tricks here, right? But uh, let's just say somebody goes into the chicken business. Um, is it a matter of, you know, knowing the difference between, you know, a, a, a single uh, or, you know, dual breed chicken or, or a triple, uh, there's the ones that they use the, the, the feathers for too, right? So, <laughs> um, you know, is it, is it kind of diversify, you know, making sure you tap the, as many markets as you can with one type of chicken? Is it, you know, offering the bone broth, let's say from the chicken or the, or the ones that don't, you know, turn out to, to, uh, let's say, the, 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 let's say the skin rips or it bruises during the, the butchering and, and not having a game plan for, okay, what do we do with the chicken when it doesn't look good for a nice roast chicken on the table? You know, are we going to make stock? Are we going to offer, you know, chicken sticks? Mm -hmm. I don't know. So, you know, <laughs> so, some other well, thing that we can do with it. What you just described is perfect because you're just describing what usually goes on in many farmers' heads when they first start out is, we need to do this and this and this and this. And it's much more simpler than that. It's a, it's a matter of, and this is where we start in our training, is identifying who's your ideal customer. It goes back to who's your customer and what does she want? Okay. So we see a lot of people thinking, well, I'm going to buy these chickens of this heritage breed because I read that, you know, in Hobby Farm Magazine and heritage breeds are making a comeback. Well, turns out most of American... Americans want a fat, juicy, plump chicken, which is not often a, a heritage breed right. that takes twice. And, and then they lose a lot of money because they take twice as long to raise. So start even before you start your farm, start identifying who your customer is. And the other problem that often farmers um, make or have is they they think, well, my customer should want these things versus what their customer really wants. So right. um, my customer should want to preserve a heritage breed of hog and therefore should want to buy our, this, this specific breed that costs twice as much. And pay. they should want that. So therefore, I'm going to raise that. No, you have to go back to what does your customer really want? What your mm -hmm. customer really wants is she's a busy mom with family, with basketball practice, and she needs to get a healthy farm fresh dinner on the table every single night. And that means pork chops from any pig, you know, that was <laughs> raised on pasture. So farmers get way too caught up in the specifics that we can geek out with each other. Like, right. let's get together and geek out on all these crazy breeds and feathers and the things we can do with it. But if you want a sustainable business, you identify who is your customer and what do they want. And 99% of them want a fat, juicy, plump chicken on the table for dinner. Mm -hmm. And that's it. You know? it's, so it, very oh, important. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Sorry, I didn't want to cut you <laughs> off. But you remind me of when I first started shopping in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And, you know, I'm identifying these different farmers. And I had this one farm uh, that he raised. I don't know what kind of, I don't know, it was a black Australorp or whatever. But he had this this little black chicken. <laughs> And, mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah. it, it was the most delicious chicken ever. Um, but yes, they were smaller. Uh, I think they, I don't think they took a crazy amount of time to, to get to wait or, you know, what, at least wait for that particular chicken. Um, but the, yeah, they were smaller and the, the, the meat was darker. It had a little layer of yellow fat. Mm, I can taste it right now. And so <laughs> I introduced, yeah. I introduced the farmer to a friend of mine. And she just starts whinging about it's not big enough and my family needs two and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't give a crap. I'm like, I want, it's, it's the most delicious chicken. Like to me, I wanted that flavor, but to her, you know, she was much more average American, let's just say. She just, she, yeah. she wanted big boobs on this chicken. And, yeah. um, you know, and that wasn't so as important to me. Right. And you and I know that, you know, sustainable and, and humane and all this, so, you know, maybe these breeds are better. But let's face it, we have to make a profit as a farmer or we're going to not be here. And, you know, we're going to be that 80 percent that's out of business. So focus on what you can sell to pay your bills and pay the costs. And 
And nothing against those little black chickens, but maybe you have to, in order to be here two years from now, that, because that should be your goal is to set yourself up to be here two years from now, and then you can experiment. So maybe you get to the point where you're raising a thousand Cornish cross chickens for your bigger customer base, and you do 100 of these little black ones for the customers that are more educated. And also when you continue building your loyal, you know, again, back to the woman farmer who's build, building these very loyal, deep relationships with people, you're going to educate them over time. So they may start out wanting the Cornish cross, but a year from now, they're going to want the more gamey chicken that ran across the field that is a little bit tougher, but they know the nutrition is better, but they don't start out that way. You are as a farm owner, it's your responsibility to educate them and get them there, but you're starting out with kindergartners. Yes. Know? So you can't, so you need to do what's going to be sustainable for you and keep you in business and then start experimenting with the, the fancier breeds, whatever it might be. Right. And, and actually this is, uh, it's, 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 cool to hear you say this because the person I just interviewed uh, prior to you, she has, you know, fibromyalgia and this crazy skin disorder that I've never heard of. And, you know, just you name it, she has it, right? So with my input, she starts going to farmer's markets. And she, one of the things she says in the interview is that she didn't realize the relationships that you build with the farmers. And so when she, when she goes to, you know, make her her bone broth she talks to the farmer and he's like no this is the cut that you want for this you mm -hmm. want the knuckle with the sinewy uh, skin and all the you know all that good stuff that's going to give you more collagen and this is this is what's going to help heal you and she was just she was floored that she could get feedback like that and and instructions and and ideas and understand even more through the farmer so yeah the the farmer is definitely uh, part of your education and is going to, you know, be your partner in this yes. whole thing. Goodness, yes. And no doctor ever told her how to do that. Oh, God, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, and you know, the thing that we then develop as farmers now that we've been in business for seven years is we have seven years of customer healing stories or testimonials mm. about how it changed their life, whatever it might be that people come in our store, they often find us for health reasons because they've been going to a traditional doctor for years and that for whatever it might be. And the doctor finally says, I'm sorry, I can't help you or you're going to be on this medication the rest of their life. So they start Googling and taking it into their own hands. They end up in our store and then we tell them about six other customers who healed from the same thing by just changing how they eat and they're yes. blown away. And then often there's a new person in our store and, uh, and, you know, a, a veteran who's been at our store for years will be there at the same time. And that is just a wonderful because they can tell them, you know, they were just in their same shoes a year before that. And they're saying, yeah, when I first started, I had this and this and this. And then I made my bone broth and and listen to listen to Charlotte. She knows exactly what, what she's talking about because it helped my kids do this and this. And there's so much there's this whole community around farms that you don't find in any other practitioner type setting. So Absolutely. yeah, just like you said, yeah, it's, it's just a beautiful thing in this. And they'll even change phone numbers and they'll text each other and yeah. say, you know, catch up on their progress. It's just a really cool thing. Right, right. Yeah. And, and that's uh, the thing about this woman. She, you know, she has all this stuff and a month into it, she goes, Oh my God, I feel so wonderful. Like she actually, mm -hmm. she started feeling great, but you know, she actually had uh, friended me on Facebook as well as being in my group. And so I see her personal posts and she's telling all her friends, she's like, I, this is the best decision I've ever done. It has changed my life like nothing else I have ever done before. And I, she's just so excited after you know, kind of sitting on the sidelines for two or three years. She is finally coming to grips with what she needs to do. And she's like, I can't even see myself going back there. She's like, all I have is all I would have to look forward to is you know more pain again because the one day she she had forgotten her water bottle she bought a, a Lipton iced tea and she drank about a third of it and then she threw the rest away and the next morning she wakes up she's in complete pain and she's like oh mm -hmm. crap I just remembered I drank that thing yesterday <laughs> 
podcast. So, you yeah. know, if that's not a, a hint and a half, and she's not even doing everything. She's just doing the basic get the, the process stuff out. That's all she's done. And, you know, adding the farmer's market. So, and, 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 you know, where a lot of people are worried about the amount of money they spend, she's saying, well, my, my boyfriend uh, has remarked that I'm eating about 40% less than I was eating before. So it's pretty much a wash. Well, yeah. And the other thing is when we started eating this way 12 years ago, it was nothing for me at the time before real food to go to the grocery store once a week and spend an additional $40 on over-the-counter medications for, oh. you know, cold medicine and headache medicine and sore throat medicine. Well, after our first year of drinking raw milk in 12 years, we spend nothing on, we don't have over-the-counter medications. Nobody's Thank you. Had antibiotics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank so, you. <laughs> so it more than covered our raw milk costs, not to mention never being sick, you know, the amount of energy that you have and the amount you can accomplish and how your mood just, you never have to deal with depression or anxiety or something. So yeah, the cost is not even an issue anymore. I'll pay anything for farm fresh food if we didn't raise it ourselves because there's no comparison. But, you know, the public just doesn't get that yet. There's slowly more and more people are turning around. But for that, that woman you were just talking about now, it just seems like it's criminal to me that we can't get her story out. You know, that, that doctors can't tell those stories. It just seems criminal that they're keeping people sick. Mm-hmm. And I have my own personal friends because, you know, I have my wonderful people that believe in what we do and have healed. And then we have friends and neighbors and high school friends and college friends that think we're, you know, lunatics or oh, something. Yeah. Oh. And, and they're sick and they're taking all their medications and they would never dream of trying bone broth or farm fresh eggs to heal. And it's just, it does, it just seems criminal to me that doctors aren't telling them that, you know, stop your medications and start your bone broth and you'll be fine. But then again, of course, their salaries are paid by these pharmaceutical companies and things. So that, you know, it's a big, a real big shift has to happen, but it's sad that only a few people are in the know in America. Right, right. Yeah. And actually, you're reminding me that uh, a friend of mine was telling me, I believe it was in the book, Thinking Grow Rich. Uh, if I don't know if you've ever read that, but I, I think that's the book that she was saying, which I had read a long time ago, and I just don't remember this. But yeah, there's apparently a passage about how, um, you know, the pharmaceutical industry got started purposely to get you know, people scared basically of handling anything themselves and just knowing that they have, they have the resources at their fingertips. You've got to go to this, you know, faceless entity to get everything fixed. Well, and that was all the last century. That was all what it was about is the industrialization of America. And when my mom had us kids in the sixties, the doctor told her, don't you dare breastfeed. They make this formula now that's far better for you. And so the whole, you know, we're trying to reverse a whole century of brainwashing mm-hmm. that occurred. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to call some people out right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go for but, it. Yeah. No, but I mean, not directly, but to me and I'm not the most religious person. You know, I, I believe, you know, I have a spirituality about me, but I'm not, you know, like going to church every Sunday necessarily. But. You know, like if you're going to tell me that you believe in God and you believe in a plan and you, you know, all this stuff, and then you don't trust anything that he has put on the planet to nourish your body, and you've got to go to something in a package that's completely denatured uh, and chemicalized, and that's your first line solution, I got a problem with that. <laughs> yeah, good, <laughs> you know. good point. And, and um you know, again, last century, they disconnected us from our food source. So anything, mm-hmm. any meat you get in a store is from a confined animal feedlot operation. Right. And where not only the animals are treated inhumanely, but if you've done much reading on it, the humans, you know, they bring workers from across the border. They uh-huh. truck them over in the middle of the night. They might get their arms severed at these Ugh. plants and then they take them back right. and, and drop them off because that's the end of it, their career. And if you shop in a grocery store, that's what you're supporting. And um, slave labor that happens in Mexico, harvesting 
all the NPR just did a, a expose on this and it took them two years to do to complete the report and then be able to air it even because there was a lot of controversy. If you buy a pepper or a tomato in mm-hmm. the store, in the grocery store, you're supporting slave labor. So we're so disconnected that people don't care. They're like, oh, your tomato's $5 a pound. Well, I'm going to go to the store and pay $2 a pound. And and they, and they you can say that while well, you're supporting slave labor and they just right. laugh it off. So yeah. yeah, you're right. You call yourself an ethical spiritual human being, but you're supporting the most hideous human acts there are. Right. Not to mention, I mean, and that's not even necessarily only the stuff coming out of Mexico, but like you said, they truck the people over and they chain them to to beds at night in Uh Florida. And, you know, they're picking your dollar a pound tomato, you know, and it's like, it's like, okay, well, something about this system has to change. You know, we cannot, uh, you know, you, you can scoff at what I do and you can, you know, say you're going to vote for whomever, but unless these fundamental changes are going to happen, you know, we're still going to have the blood avocado. Um, we're still going to have, you know, millions of bees dying to produce your almonds. That you, you know, because you sworn off milk, you know, because milk is the bad guy. Now you, now you drink almond milk and now you eat everything with almonds in it. And billions of bees die in transit every year going to and from California for your bloody almonds. So, right. <laughs> so I've got my, I've got right. my little, I've got my little, my little, uh, uh, vendetta against the almond industry. If you couldn't tell. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. But it, it comes back to the almond industry is going to stay there and be profitable unless people get educated and choose to make different choices. Right. Because right, exactly. a lot of them are educated, yet they still go for the cheaper whatever. Right. It's the, it's the cheaper thing. It's the you know more politically correct thing. Uh, you know, oh, you know, I get just as much whatever out of my almonds as you do from your milk or, or what have you. And it's, it's like, you really, you know, like I always say, if you're going to swear off something, just consider what goes into the alternative and who's told you about that. Uh, I, I don't know if you've heard of the blood avocado, but that's the, you know, that's the cartel in, in Mexico that holds families at gunpoint over their avocados. Mm, you know, no, draw- I hadn't heard of it. But uh, that, it, it I, I heard it, that on NPR too. Uh, <laughs> it aligns with everything else that's going on, so I wouldn't doubt it for a moment. Right? You know, the the price of limes, a case of limes, went from I think twenty six dollars a case to like ninety something in a, in a, in the span of a year. Hmm. Uh, and these are you know Mexican limes. Here in in Hawaii, we have limes and avocados dropping on the floor every day. Hmm. You know, but somehow they still find a reason they have to import them from Mexico. Yep. And so I, you know, all the, so all of these new trends, the avocado oil, the almond, this and that, I'm just like, you know what? I shop with my farmer. I know what this person is doing. This is the person I, this is the future I want to support. Yes. Yes. And so we're, we're all slowly getting the word out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and hopefully, you know, as this podcast grows in popularity, um, we'll get that, we'll help you get that out. What are some mm-hmm. of, you know, going back to the marketing, what are some of the, the sacrifices that farmers, because you talked a lot about new farmers and people going out of business, what are some of the sacrifices that they may not be prepared for? Oh, boy, financial is the biggest one. People have, they think, well, Charlotte sells her milk for $12 a half gallon. So I'm going to go buy a milk cow and get rich. Yeah. And little do they realize that that $24 a gallon raw milk costs $25 a gallon to produce. You know? Right. So the financial, that's the biggest. And then, oh, what was your, what was the question? The hard, the, just the, the sacrifices that people oh, may sacrifice. not be uh, uh, prepared for. Okay. So financial is number one. Probably the second one is they have no idea of the time that's going to be involved. So a lot of people will quit their, you know, sell everything in the city. They made a little money in the, you know, real estate market or something. So they sell their everyone's dream of five acres or 10 acres and they buy their animals to have a better quality family life so they can spend more time with the kids and the kids can help on the farm. And then they're working 18-hour days. They're up in the middle of the night. The husband and wife never see each other. They try to drag the kids out of bed and demand they collect eggs. But the kids, I mean, you know, it's like, what? Slave labor. (laughs) Yeah. My my kids begged me for chickens, and we finally got them. And they're like, what do you mean I have to get up and feed them? (laughs) Right. Every single day. Yeah. 
So all of a sudden they realize they are never seeing their family. And, and especially I'm really, really involved in the raw milk business. It's, that's a big part of our business in the raw milk world in general. And so often people will think, oh, a dairy cow, little house on the prairie, have the milk cow in the backyard. Well, milking and a dairy cow, raw milk dairy, and we're limited by law to three cows. So a very small raw oh. milk dairy is the worst kind of farm life you can have because milking happens at breakfast time and dinner time, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So people often have no idea that, you know, it's the hardest on family life farming that there is, is, right. is a dairy cow. So dairy farmers often go, well, what I get, I get the call or the email often that says, well, my wife gave me the ultimatum. It's either me or the dairy cows. So I have to go out of business. And if you know anyone that wants a milking machine and three cows, let me know, you know, um, because it's, it, you sacrifice your family. Yeah. So those are the two financial and time. So the two reasons people get into farming in the first place is to have more financial freedom and more time are the, the worst reasons to do it. Right. And I, I think that could apply to pretty much any business, you know, anything that you're doing yourself, you, you know, you watch your boss and you think, oh, he's just sitting in that corner office staring out into space. But in fact, you know, the wheels are turning to get everybody, you know, to, to, say, okay, this is what needs to happen. Um, and I right. think, and I, and I think people overlook that when they decide to go into business, period. Yes. <laughs> so. Yes. And, and farming is harder too, because you've got the animals. So, you right. know, maybe you're in business for yourself, but then you don't realize you're going to be up at 1am with a cow that's got milk fever and then 2am mm. with a pig that's having problems giving birth or a cow or whatever it is. So, and then the financial part of it, you know, because we raise grass-fed beef. Well, I have to bu I buy all those calves as weanlings or raise them. And, and you don't get your money out of them until they're two to three years old. So then the farmer has, you know, $50,000 tied up that yeah. they don't get for two years later. And so you're continuously, you're, you, never, you never get ahead. Mm, yeah. So, I don't know why this popped into my head, but it sounds like a story I heard where a guy won the lottery and he chose the annuity, but he's paid off all of his bills and he couldn't and he had nothing in the bank for a year because he paid everything off thinking he was doing the right thing, but he couldn't touch yeah. the, the rest of the money for the next year. <laughs> Right. So, so that he, he couldn't went get his next debt. Exactly. He <laughs> went into huge debt for a year until until the next annuity paid out. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. I think that's I can totally see where people would do that. This concludes part one of the interview with Charlotte Smith. Tune in next week for part two, where Charlotte will discuss how she runs a sustainable milk farm, how she cured her family's health problems with raw milk, and what to do when the U.S. government, big pharma, and big agriculture aim to take away your access to the foods you need to stay well. Next time on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean, and our operations manager is Linda Hansen. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at nutritionheretic.com, where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutritionheretic and on Twitter at NutriHeretic. Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you just want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks! Thanks!